On this episode of Industry Relations, Rob and I discuss and review the big why, the key issue, and the consequences of the upcoming commission lawsuits. Let's go. This is Industry Relations, a podcast that's at the intersection of real estate and technology from an insider's perspective with Rob Hahn and Greg Robertson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Industry Relations with Rob and Greg. This is your co-host, the notorious Rob Hahn. And as always with me is the fabulous Greg Robertson, Lord of Jazz Hands. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Rob. How's it going, man? How are you? You know, I wonder sometimes if I've done you a favor or real disservice with like the fabulous Greg Robertson, the Jazz Hands. You must be getting it now, like everywhere you go. You know. No, I told you the last episode. Some uh, we were organizing. John Warner and I were organizing a meeting with uh, one of these execs, and when he responded, he he did the jazz. He put the jazz hands emojis and put that in parens. We thought that was funny as well. All right. So uh, you know, lots to talk about, but I think you know, in the pre-show, we're just chatting. There's been so much kind of reaction to our last podcast. Yeah, I mean, most of it being I was right, I think, is what I was really getting. At least that was my Twitter feed was was more slanting towards people agreeing with me. All all the people who are wrong tending to agree with you, I think, (laughs) makes me very comfortable. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, there's certainly enough to kind of take a look at that. Um, So, you know, yeah, it's earnings season, but I think we're probably going to wait until all of the reports are out and maybe just do a big wrap up since we're not we're not like a Wall Street show. You know what I mean? We're right. not. A, that's no. not what we do. Uh, so we could talk about like the new open door Zillow thing. You know, we could. Yeah, and then we'll see well, what spy you know, balloon chat GPT. I mean, you know, all a of few it. on my list here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, having said that, it does feel like because it is so important to at least our audience, you know, the sort of the lawsuits you know, the what's going on. Um, so you had some ideas around how we might yeah. sort of talk about that. So I'll hand it over, hand over the floor to the fabulous one, Lord of Yeah, Jazz. I think, you know, seeing the Twitter feeds and, 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 you know, getting a couple emails, I think, and we, we spent a lot of time on this last year talking about the consequences of these lawsuits and what they mean. Right. You know, one going to class action and, you know, things like that. But it's been a while um, there's also been some, you know, some updates and we've talked mm-hmm. about these updates, like with, uh, uh, disclosures more being made, you know, NAR yep. following some of the things there, um, you know, the, the, you know, up in Northwest MLS, I think I talked about this last thing, last yep. ish, uh, episode where, you know, uh, agents have to disclose to their sellers, um, you know, that they're, they're, they're going to be paying for the buyer's agent's compensation. And what do they want to do that? And, and the sources that I'm hearing are telling me that, um, you know, it's not changed much. I mean, they're still right. going, they, they still want, you know, they, they right. at least the sellers like agreeing that they're, they should be compensated and it's not going off much of what that normal comp normal quote unquote compensation is. So with all these kind of different things here, I thought, you know, you've been following these cases, um, for, for quite a while. I think we should go back and just summarize what these cases are about and what they mean. And like, because in my, in, in, in my assertion here, seeing, reading some of the tea leaves is, you know, beyond the class action stuff. Right. But going forward, how much is a threat? Is there a threat is to 
buyer's agent's compensation. So mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that's kind of what I was thinking of. Yeah. Okay. I think that's that's probably a good idea because you know. Uh, it's it's a complicated you know case yeah. is a complicated set of things and um, you know there's a lot of fear uncertainty doubt um, you know I guess someone could one could argue that you and I are somewhat responsible for the fear uncertainty and doubt but uh, all we're trying to do is kind of you know like help people understand exactly what's what's going on so um, let me preface by saying uh, you know I am a lawyer but I'm not your lawyer you know this is just two uh, fools on the internet talking. If you need actual legal analysis, actual legal advice, please contact your attorney, yada, yada, yada. Okay, cool. All right. All right. So this is just edutainment going on here. All right. Having said that, um, let's start from kind of, I guess, what I'll call the big why, right? The big why of this lawsuit, but the big why of all of these things that are happening. The big why fundamentally is that our ruling class believes that Americans pay too much for real estate services. Period and story. By ruling class, I mean sort of the think tanks, the academics, the policymakers, the media, right? You know, the the people from the Cato Institute all the way to, you know, whatever, Harvard, uh, you know, uh, School of Real Estate. Like, those people all think Americans paying 6%, and now the national average is 5%, they're just paying too much compared to rest of the developed world. So that's the big why. The big why is why are we paying 5%? Why are we paying 6% when you know Europeans are paying 2%, you know Australians are paying 1.5%. Like that's the big why, right? So start from that premise. And I'm saying I think that's important because when you think about what is the impact, what is this that and the other thing. Ultimately, if we don't get real estate commissions to 5% to 2%, right? Then those Policymakers, those academics, those you know, those people will not be happy. Their goal is to get commissions to one and a half to two percent. Question is, can they actually do that? <laughs> right. All right. So, with that background, what is the actual lawsuit? I suppose what's what's really going on? Right. Um, fundamentally, I think what it is is there's the claim from the plaintiffs, right? and Merle is the first that really filed this. And they're the ones who really went on, went forward with it, and then everything sort of stemmed from that. The claim essentially is that NAR and these big brokerages, the corporate defendants, have conspired to keep commissions high. And the way they've conspired, this is the claim now, the way they have conspired is through these various rules that collectively they're calling, I think it's like the uh, cooperation rule. I can't remember, the commission rule or something like that. Cooperation uh, the, compensation, the, or something. I think they were called the commission rule. But one of the issues is it's not just one rule, right? They they sort of go through the various code of ethics uh, provisions. They go through the MLS handbook. They go through various parts and they pick out all these different rules. And they're saying collectively, what this does is it keeps commissions high, right? Um, after that was sort of filed, all these other things have sort of come into the play. So, for example, clear cooperation policy came into play because, you know, PLS versus NAR and then Department of Justice sort of intervened in that. Um, you know, uh, Rex versus Zillow, you know, around the whole non-commingling rule. And that's supposed to have some sort of implication around keeping commissions high. But fundamentally, you know, the the idea is by forcing sellers 
to pay the buyer's commission, the buyer agent's commission, right? This is keeping the seller commission really high, right? And the idea is you force sellers to do that through these various rules, and the MLS is kind of the mechanism that enforces it. Um, it's uh, it's keeping commissions at like the six percent level versus two percent level. I mean that's the claim, right? So what's right. at stake? Well, if the plaintiffs are successful, number one, there's like potentially hundreds of billions of dollars in damages, which no one can withstand, so everyone will go bankrupt. Uh, the bigger, I think, concern really for the industry is, in theory, cooperation compensation could go away, and buyers will be forced to pay their own agents, sellers will be pay- forced to pay their own agents, right? I mean, that's the fear, right? That's the the big consequence of something like this. So let me stop there. What do you think? I mean, what's you want anything to add? Anything? Yeah. Uh, so, um, so I guess. You know, and again, I don't know, it's because, you know, I've got, we've got Stockholm syndrome syndrome or something, right? Where, you know, we've been in this organized real estate thing for so long, it just seems normal. And it's hard for us to kind of step outside of this and look back from another perspective, you know, Mm -hmm. from the, from, as you say, the ruling classes perspective. Um, I would say this, I mean, um, let's not, let's not talk about whether 6% or that is right or wrong or anything mm-hmm. else. I can see that the reasons that it's it's been so hard to change, right? And and I don't think this is by design. I just think this is the market is that number one is the number of transactions really is relatively small, right? Mm-hmm. Five, five and a half million homes sold a year. You know, if you want a competitive market, you know, then you can go back to the arguments of like hotel, uh, you know, rooms and tr- and airline tickets and you know things that are transaction, uh, you know, that there's a lot of transactions for. That's that's the first thing why I think this is has been pretty steady. It's gone down, like you say, six to five. And the other thing is basically, what, you know, the fight feeds into that is the frequency. People, it's a headache for them once every seven years. Once they're done with it, it's like they want to forget it. They're in their house and they go on. So I think those two big factors are the ones that there we haven't really seen a really, really push uh, for any competitive, you know, push down as far as uh, these rates are concerned. Um, again, not saying whether six percent is high, if it's too low or whatnot, but I think that's that's a bigger reason now. Um, I think that is probably the biggest reason why you haven't seen a downward pressure on these commissions rather than, you know, as some of this stuff is uh, putting out there that there's this cabal, right? I think that if these transactions were, um, you know, a lot more, if it was more than five and a half million a year, and if they happen in a lot more frequent basis, I think the market would adjust to that and you would see that, right? Um now you Why can you make the that? argument. Wait, hold on. Why would you see that? So let's say it was twelve million trans homes sold a year. Well, why, I, why? Yeah, okay, but I think anytime you're going to have, you know, maybe maybe the frequency is more than than the total amount, right? Because you know, if you're doing something, if you're only doing it once every nine years, right. once every seven okay, years, it's so hard to. That's what I'm saying. So let let's okay. say every every person in America is going to buy and sell a home every year, right? right? Under the current system, right. why would that drive prices lower? If it was every year, yeah, 
Well, I mean, it's, it's just like, any, to me, it's like, God damn, I just paid this, this last year. I just, you know, I just, I just, the, no, I the feeling so in the you, head is, right, I, know. I just, I just paid this. I just paid right. this. I just paid this. Where yeah. seven years later, it's let, you know, your memory yeah. of that, you know, your you kind of the pain much. point, yeah. you don't really care that much. I mean, sure. Uh, uh, Brian Barrero spoke at a, uh, at I think the last MN conference and they were doing a lot of uh, consumer based, um, yeah. Um, interviews and research. And, you know, uh, lo and behold, the, you know, the, the, the consumers that they interviewed, the, the, the buyers and sellers, they didn't really care about the commission. They just, they wanted to be heard more. They wanted more of a communication from their agents, right? Which I thought was kind of surprising, mm-hmm. right? So, and then you always get those stats and, you know, we say this all the time in the vendor community, you know, 90% of people that were interviewed said they use their agents, but only 11% do. I think that's more of a churn issue than anything mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about the issue of, I think last year, uh, since they've been recording it is the, is the biggest year, uh, percentage wise that people have used realtors ever. Mm-hmm. So the, the, you know, that's yeah, increasing is no, not I, decreasing. Great. Right? No, that's cool. I'm just saying, let's go back to what you said, which is if consumers did this more frequently and we have more transactions every year, cause you're right. It's, you know, whatever, 6 million. I think they're both linked there. Year. Of course, right. Granted, yeah. it's linked. I'm saying, so let's say that changed. Why would that make commissions lower? What's I the think that if, of that? yeah, I think the more, I think the more frequently do you do it, right? Mm-hmm. And the more transactions that happen, that just, that just makes a more dynamic market. And not, but, well, not what, no, no, I would say, like, let's get specific about it. So how, so I go to, so because I sell a home every year, right? I buy a home every right. year. What, I, when, the next time I sell my home, I go to the agent and I say, well, hey, man, think, I'm not know, paying 6%. Right, right. So so let's look at it this way. I mean, yeah. you know, if you're buying, I mean, there's there's this, a thing I think that we both agree can be a quantity discount. Have you ever heard that term before? Of course. Right. Of course. Yeah. So I think I think in some in some manner, when you're doing some transactions in a frequent basis, yeah. a more frequent basis and more of those transactions, you're yeah. going to look for something a bit better than the rack rate or the of the course. standard rate. So, so I think that's so, a- But that's I what I I don't think at. that's Did, a very- and you know, really weird. But that's weird exactly what I'm getting at, right? Okay. So you're like, I want a discount, or I buy so frequently, right? And the agent says, absolutely, I'm happy to charge you one percent. And and yeah, right. And here, let me let me even be more specific on that. What that would also do is it would drive innovation more, right? Because okay. then if if you're you're increasing the number of frequencies and people are buying that, then I think. Yeah. The stuff that we complain about in real estate as far as, oh God, the transaction's so hard and so this and that. Well, if you've got to like, now you're doing it once once a year and there's, you know, triple, double the number of transactions, the market's going to react to that as well. They're going to make things better. I agree, but I'm I'm just trying to distill down to what I think is that the real heart of this, right? So you do a transaction every year. There are 10 million homes sold every year. So the consumer says, this is bullshit. I'm not paying, I'm not paying this, right? So somebody arises, some company says, hey, you know what? We can make money. We'll just do it at a discount, right? So they go to a consumer and say, hey, listen, uh, I'm only going to charge There are companies like that now, right? I mean, we, we have several exactly of those companies. Yeah. But think about what the conversation is today or would be, you know, whatever, right? The, it's like, hey, man, I'm only going to charge you 1%. But if you don't offer 3% to the buyer agent, no one's going to show your home. Do you know what I mean? And that's that's the conversation. And that's at the heart of this lawsuit, right? which is to say that, and the example they could pull out are guys like Redfin, 
I remember Redfin was doing the one percent listing fee. Still do, I think a lot in a lot of places. I think yeah, they moved away from it. But let's you know. But the issue was okay. I could go and pay Coldwell Banker six percent or four percent to Redfin. Like yeah, it's less, but it's not that much less, right? And what Redfin agent will tell you is, listen. In fact, I'll do it for free. I'll list your home for free. There's a company, uh, Hauser, right? Uh, back in the day. And I think they might still do this where they would say, it's free. Like, I'm not going to charge you any money to sell your house because I'm going to make it up on like buyer leads and whatever, right? But even they had to be like, but you got to at least pay 3% to the buyer agent. Otherwise, no one's going to show this home, right? And I'm saying this part's important but, but- because, hold on, let me finish. Okay. This part's important because one of the very first documents that the plaintiffs of Merle produced and sort of filed was that training manual from Kelly Williams, Right. And the training manual essentially was like how to overcome commission objections. Right. So you have a listing appointment, you do this thing, and there's the sales like, hey, you look great. I want to hire you. But man, 6%, that's an awful lot of money. And the manual would train agents to say, it's not me. Like, like I'm only charging you what I need to charge you because I'm going to do all this marketing, I'm going to do all this stuff. But if you don't offer the other, the buyer agent money, no one's going to show your house. It's not going to sell. Like, that was in the training manual. And then, you know, I th- when I wrote about this, I did that uh, Tom Ferry video from 2014 or mm-hmm. something like that, right? With, uh, what's his name? Randy Ora, right? And he's the one who's like, hey, you know, you could offer 2.5% or 3% or 3.5%, you know, and it's like, if you don't offer 3%, then this is what agents do and, you know, all that, right? I, it's like, that's at the heart of this. Right? Well, yeah, but I mean, you can't, I mean, you know, a couple bad apples and, and 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 understandably a bad practice, right? I mean, you can't take a, you know, a training manual from one company and make it a cabal, right? I mean, it, it's it's just, you know, it's it's a bit of an overreach on that kind of thing. These are practices um, that is, that we should have never done. And again, let's, let's, let's move on and learn from that and do that. But I mean, as far as saying, because this, this training manual, I mean, and then again, you know, how many damn realtors read a training manual um, is, is evidence of a, of a giant conspiracy well, within, within, you, the, within the organized no, no, real estate is, is kind of ridiculous. Okay, let me ask you. Suppose the plaintiffs in that case produce training manuals from every company and have videos from every real estate coach that says, here's how you overcome commission objections. Does that change things for you? Suppose, suppose the suppose the defendants produced the realtor code of ethics. Does right. that change everything? No, the realtor code of ethics is one of the things they're claiming is the heart of this conspiracy to keep prices high. All I'm pointing out is, look, Keller Williams. I'm not saying it's one, and I think the plaintiffs are have already produced a whole bunch of docs and a whole bunch of stuff from people like Coldwell Banker, from Home Service America, from. Dale Stinton at NAR. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you know, there's a ton of bad information out so, there for sure. Here's the thing. I think let's not get hung up on sort of what I consider to be unimportant, uh, uncontested things. No one is contesting that there was a conspiracy. Right. And th- now when I say conspiracy, though, this is a term of art. This is like written into the law. It doesn't mean a like secret cabal, the way you want to put it. Right. It just means that there was sort of a agreement, there was discussions, there was conversations happening, and that's just under the law. No one's contesting that. Like NAR, you know, Kel, uh, uh, Kel no, I don't even know Kel Williams named. 
NAR Anywhere, Home Services, none of those guys are saying we didn't get together and discuss this issue. They're all agreeing we did. What they're saying is nothing well, that on, we discussed. Hold on. They're saying all of all those things, guys, those guys got together and decided yeah. together that they were going to. Um, yeah, yeah. So there's like a couple elements to antitrust law, right? You have to have a conspiracy and it has to be blah, blah, blah. I'm just saying no one is consenting there was a, quote, conspiracy, right? Meaning a Oh, no one is consenting there, is, the there is one. Okay, all right. They're saying, yeah, of course, okay. we're a trade organization. You know, we get together at events and we talk amongst ourselves. Like, that's, there's nothing weird about that, right? So they're not okay. contesting that piece. What they're contesting is that the result of this conversation is anti-competitive, right? Whereas the plaintiffs are saying the result of that conversation, these rules and policy you put into place is anti-competitive and keeps commissions high, right? And I, I'm bringing all of this up because for at the very, very beginning, from like day one of this lawsuit, I remember saying, and I'm writing, ultimately, this case is about steering. Ultimately, right? Because it's all, and there's all this academic research, there's National Bureau of Economic Research, there's MIT economists, there's all this research that seems to suggest that Prices are kept high because buyer agents will not show homes, will not sell homes that don't offer enough in cooperative compensation. Yeah, see, I, I t and we've I remember these conversations. I, I mean, I totally disagree with that. I mean, okay. it is so hard in this in this um, er area of IDX and you know listings everywhere. I just you know if it's a four bedroom house with four bathrooms and it's twenty seven hundred square feet in this zip code and that's exactly what the seller or the buyer is looking for, for and for an agent to discourage that person from seeing that house is I mean the the, the buyer is just going to get another agent or or you know schedule them or, or schedule themselves in some way right so now what I will what I will give you though on the steering side would be. Because um, I I totally disagree with, with the steering on that angle is what you mentioned before, you know, and maybe this is a peak with the Northwest MLS thing is that there could be some steering in saying we're an agent, a seller's, the seller, uh, seller's agent could say, well, we have to fill in this buyer's, you know, um, compensation thing, uh, buyer's agent compensation, and if the if the seller asks, well, what do you think I should put on here? It says, well. I would put the full amount because you want people to show it. And right. again, I'm not 100% sure whether that's a great outcome here. Okay. Right? Because I think, you know, I think, uh, I mean, what we, and I think we did some like role playing last time of what, if you're the seller's agent, what do you say to them? You know, I, I can't say any, I can't, you know, I can't do anything here. Um, you just, you know, I'll, I'll turn away and you put the number down, right? I mean, what advice are they going to give them? And is that advice, is it good advice, right? Because if they say, well, if the, if the buyer, if the sellers, the seller says, I'm only going to give $500, mm -hmm. right? I mean, is that a kind of a fuck around and find out situation, right? So yeah, and, put $500 and, down and let's, let's see what happens. But um, as a listing agent, are you doing your fiduciary duty to your client telling them to put in $500? When you right. know for a fact that it means that but, it's going but, to get fewer showings, but but I don't know. Again, again, and that goes back to our my my original statement to you. I don't know if it really is going to really matter that much. Again, if this is a house that meets the criteria of what somebody's looking for, yeah, the 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 buyer's going to find it and want to see it, right? Okay. Uh, 
I mean, you know, you know, if the agent wants to go through, well, I heard somebody died there, or, or there was a lot of rat problems in the near. I mean, if they're going to make shit up, I mean, that's that's an ethical thing, and that's something else, and that's something you know, maybe another conversation. But, but in this day and age, it's, all, say it's know, not an ethical thing. Yeah, let's say the agent's acting ethically, but the fact of the matter is that agent is not going to get paid. It's not unethical to say, hey, listen, uh, that house, it looks great for you. Maybe you should go see it, but they're not paying me. No, 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 no. I don't no, get no. paid it's... if you buy that house, so. No, 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 no. You know, I mean, there's ways own. of there's ways of solving that, right? The, the, the buyer's agent, um, you know, could have had them fill out a form. So when, yeah, when but they make you're, an offer. Now you're adding that, on additional features. Like, yeah, if you have an exclusive buyer agency agreement, et cetera. So if you, see, if you buy that home, you have to pay me because the seller's not paying me. I'm saying just leave that out for the time being, right? <clears throat> okay. Because right, right. these are all novel, new things. Yeah, yeah. I'm just pointing out when the lawsuit was filed and the practice doesn't exist at the time, the, the issue was, and this is at the heart of it. That's why I'm saying it's still about steering, right? Now- and what I wrote then, what I still feel now is, as a result, this is going to be a factual, fact-based uh, decision. If buyer steering, in other words, buyer agents say, hey, I'm not showing that house because it's only offering 2% instead of 3%. If that's one in a 100,000 agents do that, right? In other words, most agents are like, okay, well, this is the house for you, then I will show it to you. I'm going to do what's right for you. And then we'll figure out how I get paid or don't get paid later. If that's one in a million, then, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a few bad apples, if you will, right? But if that's 999,000 in a million, then it's a totally different story, right? So I right. think what at trial, in my opinion, what's what's what the experts and the data, what they're going to try and say is the plaintiffs are going to try and say the steering is widespread. This is very common. Right, and then the defendants are going to say, "Though the steering is just a once in a while bad apples, and the vast majority of realtors and vast majority of transactions will show every home that is right for the buyer without regard for what are the compensations." To me, I think that's that's going to be the heart of it. The lawyer is going to argue over all sorts of little things here and there, Ricky Dink procedural, right. this, that, and the other thing, and whatever you know, Sherman Antitrust Part Two, and like cool. Fundamentally, I think what this what those trials come down to is. Is steering by buyer agents commonplace or is it rare? If it's yeah. rare, then I think defendants win. If it's commonplace, then I think the plaintiffs win. Yeah, what what this brings me back to is 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 you know that Newsday story in Long Island, right? Mm -hmm. And and you know, just we thought we were over with this kind of profiling stuff, right? right. And and then what you got from the excuses of those of those agents and the brokerages was they weren't even really aware of what they were really doing. Right. It was just, it was just, it was like, you know, I want to, I don't want to say unconscious bias, but I mean, it was just, and this, maybe I'm talking out of both sides of their mouth. This is what they were trained to do. Right. And these manuals and these, in these books and whatever else to, they didn't really even regard to, you know, the, the wrong or right or ethics of this. Right. And, and I, I'm, I would be worried if I'm NAR or something else of like, not that these are unethical agents or, you know, bad app, whatever. It's just that, you know, there, there's just not been enough education to understand in these guys, what is the right thing to do. Right. Um, and, 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 you know, we'll know, we'll, I don't know what the, the statistical deviation is going to be, where, where you, where the line is, where the tipping point is from saying statistically, 
yeah, motherfuckers, we got you right. Um, to whatever. But I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's troubling for sure. Yeah. So look, I, I don't even think we need to inject the sort of the racial steering, which is vile. No, no. I just, I mean, to me, it's, it was just the react, you know, the yeah, yeah. No, I get reaction. you. I yeah, totally yeah. get you. I'm so, since our goal with this particular podcast is just to kind of review things and explain like what's at stake, what the important issues are. I, that's, that's always been my belief. I think these cases turn on steering, right? If steering is commonplace, then the plaintiffs win. If steering is rare, then I think defendants win. Okay. That's All right. I so believe. I think that that's great. So I think we talked about the why. Yep. And I, I about I'm with you on the, the steering right. on the, right. uh, and then I'm, I think I'm with you on the steering yeah. in, in some sense, right? They're, they're kind of linked. Right. Now let's talk about the consequences, right? Because sure. does this mean, let's say if they win, mm -hmm. um, does this mean that, you know, th that buyer's agent compensation goes away? What's Unclear. So let's let's actually take that in two steps. One is the case that's going to come to trial first, which is the Burnett case, right, out of Missouri. It's it's exactly the same as the Merle case. It's just filed in Missouri. I don't know why they haven't consolidated those, but they have, right? What we don't know, what no one knows <laughs> exactly is what the court will order, right? So let's just say the plaintiffs win, because that's what we're exploring, right? And the consequence. What is what? What's the consequence? It could be that the judge simply orders something like, you know, the so-called mandatory nature of the rules, right? So, you know, a lot of these rules like cooperation compensation, these are mandatory from NAR, right? Maybe the judge says, you just can't be mandatory. So these uh, rules have to be optional, right? <laughs> I mean, that it's possible. If that's the case, then there's probably no impact whatsoever, right? Because when you say like, that, would would you say that's on both sides of the compensation, the seller side and the buyer side, or just just the the buy side? Just the buy side, right? Because they're okay. not. No one's challenging what the seller's compensation is, right? In other words, if some listing agent says to a seller, "Hey, I'm going to sell your house. You're going to pay me three percent," no one's like, "Well, that's a problem," right? It's just that that three percent is connected to the three percent you have to pay the buyer agent, and then that allows me to you know, essentially uh, strong arm you into keeping compensation at 6%. Like that's the claim effectively. So it's possible that the court order just says, hey, NAR, these rules, these commission rules, they have to be optional. Right. But that's when, when you know, when I had Katie on, you know, you'd, yeah. you'd mentioned this last time, you know, she had said that CRMLS was thinking that commission was, uh, out of the mantra of MLSs was going away entirely. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, so that that to me says that the maybe, you know, I don't know. Yeah. 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 OK. Maybe. I don't, I don't okay. see that happening. But so that's possible. Do I think that's likely? I don't personally. Right. And now this is a point where I have to re reference back to how we began this, which is the ruling class and what they want out of this. Right. What they want is they want commissions to be two percent. Not six, not five. OK, well, the judge. It's like, if I'm going to make this order, I say, okay, I'm going to say the plaintiff's won, right? Or the jury says the plaintiff's won. I have to now make some sort of court order, right? If that court order doesn't get commissions 2%, then in a way, like, what have we changed? We haven't affected anything. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's much more likely the court order is something more like, not only is this stuff optional, you cannot have these rules. Any rule that talks about sharing commissions, right, is anti-competitive. Something along those lines, right? Any rule that talks about sharing commissions. Right. 
is anti-competitive. Well, That's possible. Right. Uh, now, here's right. the thing. And as I pointed out all along, judges are somewhat limited in what they can do, right? If you think about it. Really, what a judge is supposed to do is say, you know, who wins and what's the penalty, right? It's not that the judges aren't really supposed to go in and craft policy, right? Judges aren't supposed to go in and say, okay, NIR, here's your new rule, right? Here's what the commission rule has to be going forward. Like, they're not really supposed to do that. Which is not to say judges haven't done that. They certainly have. You know, you think about like uh, some of the um, uh, the the lawsuits around uh, voting districts. Uh, there's right. al- almost always lawsuits around like it's gerrymandering, right? And a lot of those cases, the judge will go in and draw the district himself, right? And there's some questions as to, well, who the hell are you to draw election districts? But that's neither here nor there. So it's possible that, this, that judges, you know, in either the Burnett case, the Merle case, could go in and say, hey, I'm finding for the plaintiffs, and this is anti-competitive, and NAR and MLS, so here's your new rules. Right? Like, it's possible, right? And then all that happens then is like an appeal. Like, hey, the, the district court overstepped their boundaries. They don't have the authority to craft rules for a private trade organization. It's, you know, blah, blah, blah. So that's possible, but I don't. I think the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. I think the judge will probably go, "Yeah, plaintiffs win," and uh, these rules that NAR has promulgated that have put in place is anti-competitive, right? You need to come up with some new rules that are not a problem. I'm not going to write those rules for you. I'm just telling you you need to write those rules. In the meantime, here's a six billion dollar judgment against you. And that's the bigger deal, right? The bigger deal is Burnett. My estimate for the damages in Missouri is about $6 billion. Obviously, you know and I know, the entire world knows, everyone's bankrupt if they try to pay that, right? Like, right. no one has that kind of money, which means it will get instantly appealed, right? Like, Burnett's going to happen, and the very next day, appeal to the whatever, eight, is it the Eighth Circuit or whatever Court of Appeals, right? We know that. And stay the judgment, you know, so it's not like NAR and anywhere else to write $6 billion checks. We know this. Everyone should know that. The problem, though, that's not the end of it. That doesn't mean you should relax. The reason is the minute that case comes down and the plaintiffs win, we're going to see about 5,000 lawsuits pop up around the country. And this is something I've written about as well. And so you're not out of the woods. Like, you need to really pay attention to this. And I think... One of the things I've seen personally, that just a lot of the local MLS leadership, the local association leaders are just like, they're kind of, okay, yeah, we know this happening, but NAR is taking care of it and we don't really need to worry or focus on it. And I'm like, because they're not named, right? Like all of the MLS execs we know, they talk about like, we're really worried, CRMLS, all these things, except in the lawsuit, no MLS is defended. All of the MLS are so-called co-conspirators, but they're not actually being sued, right? What I'm saying is if Burnett gets decided, they're all going to get sued. Right? Yeah. Not so, by these so, big national law firms, but some local ambulance chase is going to come and sue the central Susquehanna Valley Associate Realtors for your anti-competitive whatever, and you owe the 2,000 people in this town $17 million for the last nine years. It's going to be that, right? And that alone... No matter what happens to those particular cases, we'll fucking wreck the industry. Right. Yeah. 
So, okay, I get that larger sense here. Let's let's yeah. take it back a bit. Let's sure. go back to the uh, the MLS level, yeah. right? So, yeah. this gets you know they say basically this way of commission the commission structure they have you now we have to blow up. Now that really does take away the you know the fundamental value proposition of MLS is like hey. You help me sell my listings, I'll help you yep. sell yours. We both get paid, right? Yep. So that's blown up, right? That's right. So now, now there's got to be a new, and that's basically been the carrot uh, to getting brokers to cooperate on yep. an MLS. Yep. Okay. So the fundamental thing there is that now the MLS has to create a new proposition. And this is, I guess, maybe where Katie was going to, where commissions is not just is not just the carrot right what other right. things can they provide right this is really this is really helpful rob so what are other things and this is why you're seeing i think some of the things that are playing out here that's now right. that's exactly right what other things can we provide as an mls that can serve as an incentives to keep this cooperation fostered and growing that's because right. we're not going to be able to count on this really great instrument, this, this MacGuffin, right? That's right. This one device to help that's right. people keep in line. Right. And, you know, and that's why I think you see, this is, we have to build better software for them. We have to have, you know, uh, a national presence. We have to, we have to share data with each other and everything else. So I think this really, this really, to me, I think will, will tie together for people, our listeners, like yeah. why we're seeing all this, right. It's yeah. because it's all shaped upon, uh, hey, I'm an MLS and I used to count on this damn commission thing to keep people in line. I'm not going to be able to kind of keep people in line, people in line. What else can I do? You know, besides, I mean, we've talked about, you know, the value of an MLS. I think, you know, there's still a lot of, uh, you know, value in like keeping the data pure in one place as a source of truth. But, you know, some, some brokers are going to be, eh, not so much, right? We're the biggest mm -hmm. one in here. If we left, we could do whatever we want. So mm -hmm. they're going to have to come up with as much as many solutions as they can to to keep everybody happy, right? Yeah, pretty much. And that's you're exactly right. That's why I think we're seeing all these MLSs talking about data distribution plays. This play, we're going to do transaction management. We're going to do CRM. We're going to do all this. Which like what people are trying to come up with is like all this package of goodies. That'll keep their subscribers keep paying them subscription fees. When you, the yeah. central value proposition is no longer in place. So, right. what do you think? Um, what timeline are we talking about here? What 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 we what we can tell our listeners? Like, you know, obviously prepping, as you say before, is, yeah, is a good yeah. thing, right? Like, yeah. now that we and I love this is a great episode because I think this frames. Yep. You know, everything, because I think since the last time we've been talking about it, we haven't seen the reactions of the MLS uh, organizations out there. And now this is kind of tying everything together. Right. So what do we think the timelines are for this? Because, I mean, we know I, that, for instance, the NAR DOJ thing is going to get appealed. Yep. Obviously, all this shit yep. is going to be appealed. Right. I mean, so what's the timeline? I mean, you know, this isn't the first one of these things, first of all, doesn't start until October. Right. Because they delayed the the mm -hmm. the, the one. Um, what do you think? I think December. December is, oh, well, it's not going to be, it's, but but it's not going to be um, solved in December because they're going to appeal, oh, right? No, no, no. no. I, don't, I don't mean it's solved. What I'm expecting the next big thing to hit will be Burnett, the Missouri case, holds for the plaintiffs, and we see 5,000 lawsuits across the country. And uh, I think that ruling- After that's done. 
Right. And I think that ruling will probably come out in November, December. Right. Well, that's pretty close to the, you know, October timeframe, right? So that's... Yeah, because I like they've been talking about they briefed like they've argued everything. They just need to do a trial, do some fact finding, and by the way, it's a jury trial, right? So yeah, which is not great for NAR. Um, well, is it or not? I mean, you know, if we go back to what we talked about before, I mean, most consumers are using realtors and they and they're happy with them, right? So may, maybe may, maybe that actually serves NAR well. I don't know, man. Like, I if you went to anyone who's ever sold a home, is like, hey, so you paid, you overpaid. You know, when you sold your house because you were paying the other guy's agent and this uh, cabal of big companies and NAR. How you. they're going to frame it, you mean? Yeah. That's how they're going to frame it. I mean, yeah. so then NAR has to go. It, I, all I'm saying is when you were talking to just regular random ass consumers who serve on juries, you know, they're not economists, right? They're not industry experts. You know, there's no way that the plaintiff's attorney is going to let a realtor sit on that jury, right? Like that's just not going right. to happen. So it's going to be a bunch of retirees and you know, it's way easier story to be like, look, NAR and uh, Realogy and all these big companies, they screwed you versus, listen, this is a complicated situation scenario where blah, 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 none of this really affects anything. And like, good luck. I mean, I just, so I think they're going to lose. Okay. So, so hold back. on. You're saying uh, tri first trials in October, it gets yeah. settled sometime November, December, because you think it's going to go towards the, the plaintiff. Yeah. Um, then- Next, the next year, there's gonna be a thousand Just, flowers bloom of lawsuits, right? Correct. But, but, but that's gonna be appealed, right? So, sure, it'll I be mean, appealed. So that you know, then you're gonna start as you if you, if you think there's a you know five thousand lawsuits filed, but I mean, through the appeal process and everything else, when does that thing you think finally? Gosh, die? I don't know. I mean, I think the appellate process could take say two years. But let's say the circuit court of appeals comes back and finds for either party defense. So let's say the court of appeals says, "Hey, defendant, you win." You know, it turns out the trial court made all these errors, so there's no violation, right? right? Okay, well, the plaintiff is going to appeal that to the Supreme Court, right? Right. So ultimately, I don't think this gets resolved, resolved until either one of the sides gives up, right? They're like, "We're not going to appeal this," or the Supreme Court comes down and sort of makes a ruling. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, my guess that's is seven be, years. Yeah. That's seven right. years. Okay. Yeah. Now, I don't think that's relaxation time. Here's why. Because you asked about timeline. I think after December, every local association, every local MLS has to up their legal budget. Right. And I'm saying it's a big deal because, fine, you don't have to do the, you know, uh, we have to come up with a new value proposition. Right. But, man, if you're sitting there. Well, like, I mean, okay, they're all. They're all paying for their E and O insurance, right? I mean, they're all paying. They're all part of NAR, so I think, you know, they might launch a five thousand lawsuits. But I mean, it's going to be easier for the plaintiffs to just, you know, instead of managing that many lawsuits, I mean, they could just double down on, you know, okay, I, I would still, I don't know if I'd, I'd file that many. Oh, well, there could be individuals, I guess you're saying. That's right. Yeah, this isn't yeah, the yeah. law firm. Finally, fi no, yeah, I'm saying it's some ambulance chaser in central Ohio yeah. going after the local MLS, right? Because they just right. see dollar signs. I mean, I'm not right. These, the plaintiff's lawyer bar, man, like that, that, those are, you know, those are some hard Big motherfuckers. Time. Like, you know, these aren't necessarily like kind and generous people. So I'm just saying the problems now becomes, you know, CRMLS and Bright, they're big enough to be able to deal with that, right? When you're a thousand person MLS in central Ohio somewhere, 
are you going to be able to deal with, you know, two or three ambulance chasing lawyers coming after well, you? Well, you got to believe they're going to see some assistance from NAR, right? I mean, that's, sure. that's they're part so of the National no, Association right. of Realtors. Right? You're exactly right. But NAR itself is spending all this money on legal fees, and now they're going to have to go and hire lawyers for 1,100 local associations? Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, it's not going to happen. Right. Yeah, I mean that's it's, why it's this a is such major, a right. That's why it's this, major this lawsuits are a big, you know, NAR big and everybody else have to bring it strong now, right? Because they don't want to exactly. And, and and let's be honest, I mean these guys. I mean I said that they're pretty gangster before, but I mean NAR I think is formidable. I mean you know I I wouldn't it count is. these. You think you think that it's just going to go for the plaintiffs, but I mean. Man, you've been surprised before. I've been surprised I before. Have. You're so right. We'll, yeah. So we'll knows? see what happens here, right? Who knows? So, but we're just talking through consequence. Obviously, if NAR wins, there's no consequence. You won, right? So, the well, there's going to be a, there'll lose. be a, there'll be a, an appeal there too, right? Of course, of course, right? of course, right? Um, but no matter what ends up happening, it's like okay, that's what we can expect probably next year. What I'm saying is, local MLS is local association. If you guys aren't having conversations today about what do we do. If Burnett case goes out, goes for the plaintiffs, and we have to deal with copycat lawsuits in our jurisdiction. As far as I know, very few MLS and associates are having that conversation, right? Right. And you know, here's the thing. Let's just even say cost is taken care of. NAR says, look, we have you know, just hire attorneys and we'll pay for it. Okay, cool. You've hired attorneys. Your CEO and your board members still have to answer interrogatories, depositions, you know, replied all this legal paperwork. I mean, it's it's more than a distraction, right? I mean, you ask anybody who's actually been through a lawsuit, man, the process is the punishment. Yeah. And I'm telling you, local MLS, local associates, I do not think are talking about this enough, right? So that's like, to me, you're talking about prepping. You need to be doing that shit right now about what are we going to do in March or April of next year if this happens, right? Right. And as far as I know, no one has that contingency plan in place. No one's even talking about it. The other problem, though, is as I've talked about in a lot of my you know, previous podcasts and posts and whatnot, that's only we're talking about these civilian lawsuits. We haven't yet talked about the Department of Justice, and we haven't talked about, more importantly, the FTC. Right? And this is something I pointed out in previous uh, episodes. The Biden executive order on competition contains a very specific provision telling the FTC to regulate real estate listings and brokerage, right? We know the FTC works hand-in-hand -hand with the Department of Justice. That Department of Justice just got its face slapped by NAR in that recent lawsuit thing, okay? But that lawsuit that NAR won wasn't on the merits, Right. In, in other words, the court didn't say no. Contract thing. Yeah. It was it was a contract thing. It had to do with discovery motions, you know, shit like that. It had to do with CID. Okay. DOJ is still very much like we're coming after you for this anti-competitive. Right. Shit. But there's nothing active now. They've just have that that order, but there's no case pending on the merits of all this right now, right? Only in because fact, the only because the Department of Justice withdrew the complaint. Right. So they could right. file the complaint tomorrow and you have an active case. Right. To well, me, I what mean, seems more likely no, go ahead, though, sorry. Is, it's not even that. Now the DOJ hands the baton over to the FTC and says, it's not about us suing NAR. It's about you regulating NAR. 
that to me is the bigger deal. That that's the threat in the woods right now, right? For, for sure. I, and you and know, I, think that's I don't know. Closer threat. I mean, I've been you know reading you know there's a few articles in the Wall Street Journal. It seems like the FTC is not doing well on uh, you know on the actions that they're doing. So they don't have a great track record, right? They, sure. I think one of the the chairpersons resigned recently. I forget who it was, but Lena Khan. Um, no, 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 not the chair, but uh, maybe on the Congress Oversight Committee or somebody kind of resigned or something. So um, yeah, fed up with some of the things. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? All I'm saying is the Department of Justice, these lawsuits for the ultimate resolution is seven years, right? Roughly speak, because appeal, 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 like we know that. That's not, so in the short term, the threats are short to near term. So, so call it within the next two years. What I'd be concerned about are the copycat lawsuits and the FTC. Yeah. Because FTC regulation, they could just come down and regulate. They could just say, hey, you know what? Real estate agents are no longer allowed to share commissions. They could just come down and regulate. Just say, here's the regulation. Sellers are no longer allowed to pay buyer agents. Right? Like, now what? Yeah. You know what I mean? So nothing is out of the woods. And like I said, the the DOJ NAR thing, everyone's like, well, NAR would do X, Y, Z and whatever. And all the comments we had after our last podcast, I'm like, number one, you're wrong. But number two, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right? Because it's not about NAR winning some victory over the Department of Justice over a civil investigative demand. The issue now is the Department of Justice is going to turn to the FTC and be like, hey, you know what? Punish these motherfuckers. Right. Yeah. Well, this and is- And by this the is way- yeah, I want to make this point. This is not new. FTC has been after NAR since the 50s. Forever. Forever. Since 50s. So this is just the latest salvo. This is just the latest thing. We'll see what happens. I mean, there's a possibility NAR is politically so powerful, they just go to Congress, they go to whatever, they go to the administration, like, hey, stop the FTC from coming after us. And it, it might work. I, I'm not saying it won't work. But that's the play, right? That's not, it's not about lawsuits, not about all this stuff. That's the play. Yeah. So I can't believe we talked an hour about episodes and issues we covered in the past, but we did. I, I like this. <laughs> this. This really brings a thread to all the things we've been talking about. Yeah. And I think it's great to have, it's great that we have this conversation now post that there's been some actions done in the industry and we can kind of right. like, well, why is this happening? Um, and I think our listeners are going to like this. So, um, yeah. yeah, great job, Rob. Fantastic. Well, thank you, sir. Great job by you, Greg, for asking all the right questions. <laughs> we still have to, at some point, talk about, you know, that would be a really cool episode, right? What is the value of an MLS if there is no compensation? Yeah, point, I think, like, I know we've, we've talked, we, yeah. we always have arguments, sub you know, little yeah. side arguments about that on some of the episodes. Yeah. But, or, you know, I would put it more in, an, in a positive light, like what can an MLS do mm -hmm. you know in a, in a post a, you know the changing mls right value proposition right, right? that that type of thing for right. sure but you could put it positive you could put it negatively fundamentally <laughs> how are you going to keep these agents paying you it's really the brokers really right i mean that's yeah. that's the yeah. that's the the, the juxtaposition yeah. here for sure how are you going to keep them paying you like what are you going to offer them so they keep paying you if there's yeah. no compensation yeah, that's that's good. So, you know, that should be a future episode. There's no somebody on um, mandatory compensation. Right. That's that's the key. Yeah. Well, I think 
I think if it's not mandatory, but it's still allowed, then we still have steering. So the only way to really have this conversation is either the court order or the FTC says you are no longer allowed to compensate. That's crazy, though. I mean, why is that crazy? You know, there's work to be done. I mean, it's just you know, you can't. I don't think the you can, can like pay their own agents. Well, that's a compensation. Well, but it's not said, seller paying the buyer. It's not the listing agent paying. Well, I mean, the okay, you, you said. I mean, again, all that is non-mandatory, but there's still compensation being put out there, just not man mandatory. Fine. What I'm getting at is, if we go to a world right in which the real estate commission is no longer allowed to pay the buyer agent, now what? Yeah. Right. And th and then what's the MLS doing in that world? That that to me is the future episode. Right? I just can't, yeah, I just can't see, you know, the government saying to me, you're not allowed to use a trusted individual you like and compensate them for their work done for you. I just can't see them really? doing that to me. Really? Yeah. The yeah. government literally regulates what kind of tax have to be on your betting. Yeah, okay. The government literally told I, me I, I that can't a believe pistol I just, brace on my AR I, I is just, now a felony. Teed like, up a government fear-mongering story to you. So I it's, why is it fear-mongering? The government lies to us. We know this. The government tells us all kinds of bullshit. We know this. <laughs> the government literally told people in Ohio that that water is safe to drink. I'm like, you start. How about you start with drinking from that river first? And then, you know, I mean, it's come on, man. Your trust in the government no. is uh I mean, they're 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 forcing us to pay for oil with gold. I mean, you know, the cats are sleeping with dogs now. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> I, <laughs> man, one day we, we need to have an episode around uh, the end cap philosophy, anarchism for the win. <laughs> I'm going to your, like I said, I don't got any guns. I'm coming to your house, man. Jen and I are packing up and We'll be in your bunker. Get some, you know, make sure you got hey, man, some. Uh, get rid, get rid, like talk about prepping. You should be buying real estate and property in Las Vegas, right? And then stashing away some water and food. My spider hole. Yeah, you you need one because you live in fucking Southern California. Like it's about to be Mad Max world. You know. <laughs> All right, man. All right, brother. <laughs> always, always a pleasure. <laughs> Oh, man, we're so ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs>